This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. sitting there with a pen and paper. Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can access a wide range of content. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Future of E-Learning, a market scale podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. As you're listening along, make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you want to find out what other market scale B2B content is out there that might line up with your interests, you can go to our website, marketscale.com slash industries, head to our podcast network tab, and you'll see a full catalog of different B2B industry vertical podcasts, shows, and more. So on today's episode of the Future of E-Learning, I'm pleased to welcome our friends at iStation for another round of thought leadership. And this time, we're focusing on blended learning and its impact, as well as its need during the current context of teaching under COVID. We're going to break down some of the best ways that educators can combine in-person and online learning and how leaders in education can create buy-in from educators to deliver a holistic and rewarding blended learning experience for teacher and student alike. So I'm pleased to welcome our two guests today, Angelica Casillas-Wortham, she's a PD specialist for iStation, and for insights from a school and a school district today, for some grounded context, I'm pleased to welcome our second guest, Jennifer Green-Gast, an academic RTI coordinator for Basedrop ISD in Texas. Angelica, great to have you on. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Daniel. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Pleasure getting the iStation crew back on for another conversation. And Jennifer, welcome for the first time. How are you doing today? Thank you. Doing great this morning. Fantastic. Pleasure getting to chat and looking forward to getting both of your thoughts on blended learning and how it's being utilized today, what's working, what isn't, and uh, how educators can create a focused, proactive plan to incorporate blended learning for the future. So let's start by actually pulling from your past a little bit and uh, maybe better understanding how blended learning uh, has grown to the point where it's at today, uh, pulling from some of your experiences during your career. So Angelica, we'll start with you. Before iStation, you were a former K-12 ESL teacher based out of Tennessee. Did you have any blended learning touch points during your career as an educator, or was it something that you felt that you were able to utilize, or is it something that's been relatively new since you've transitioned over to iStation? Well, there's definitely a whole lot more technology in the field today than there was when I first started teaching. We didn't really have the computer models that we have now available to our students, and thank goodness that we do have that available now. But mostly what I did was kind of a a more intervention type approach with my students. So it was a lot of very small groups, a lot of one-on-one getting my students ready to start learning the English language. Did you find that blended learning was particularly useful in an ESL setting? It's definitely useful because it gives the student an opportunity to do some asynchronous type learning when they are using technology versus asynchronous learning when they have a teacher sitting with them in a, in a small setting, which is still available today, of course, because teachers can utilize 
so many different platforms to communicate with their classes, with their students individually, and even with families. So when we're looking at our blended learning models now, we have to take a little bit of the approach where we're going to still use our technology that we have, have been forced to use, really, because that's what we have to do right now in these days. But kind of go back to our to our roots. You know, we were so used to sitting down with our students, being able to do the, the tap on the shoulder when they were maybe drifting away a little bit when they were on technology. And now we have to figure out how we're going to do that virtual tap. <laughs> and it's been it's been kind of interesting to, to communicate with teachers in, you know, here we are in this different setting and I need my students to stay focused with me. How am I going to do that? So the challenges have also been opportunities to kind of shift our thinking, to keep that blended learning at the forefront of everything that we do on a daily basis. Now, Jennifer, over to you. You've had several different um, educational uh, careers, I guess, within the broader <laughs> educational system. You've taught fourth through twelfth grade uh, English and language arts and social studies. You've worked as a library media specialist, uh, an interventionist, an instructional coach before making it to BISD. So, in any of those roles, did you have any experience with creating or participating in a blended learning environment? And if so, uh, what were some of the broad takeaways you learned about what does and doesn't work? So absolutely. It's interesting because in my past, before I worked for Bastrop ISD, I worked in a district that was one-to-one. -one. And so, uh, but it was way back in the day. And to follow up with what Angelica was saying, it's really gone from being kind of one way where technology was one way, the student interacted with the technology, and that was it to really becoming something that is more two-way and very interactive, like students are able to speak into the program and the teacher can hear it, the teacher can get on and interact. We have some programs that have live teachers that interact with the students, and the programs are really a lot more adaptive than they used to be. As a library media specialist, I was the go-to person on campus for technology, so I was already helping to coach teachers to flipping their classrooms and using video to record students and for student presentations and things like that. But now I see more of the synchronous learning being something that we're able to do well, whereas before it was more asynchronous and then let's get back together face-to-face -to -face and talk about it or use it or present it. So it's really neat to see how it's evolved. Well, let's go ahead and take those experiences now and apply them to today's current context. So it's you know pretty hard to avoid the COVID conversation, and especially in education, COVID has created very different environments that educators might not be used to at scale. And at a base level, that includes a mix of having to teach students in person and having to teach students remotely, sometimes doing just one or the other. But more often than not, we're seeing school districts have to apply both together. So for many educators, this is the first time that they've had to really get into blended learning at scale. So can y'all get a little more specific as to how COVID has created new opportunities and new challenges for blended learning and what that really looks like for today's educators? Did it catch them off guard? Is it something that they have a you know, control over? Is it still 
a point of stress for many school districts. And, you know, feel free to break down some some anecdotal experiences you have as well. I think it's kind of been an exciting time. And Jennifer, you might be seeing this as well. It not only involves our teacher student relationship. We have a very strong relationship now building with families who are working with their students while they are at home. It has definitely changed the lens of things. Families are now really instrumental in the learning process. They are having to learn their role as well. I think they try to over assist on occasions and definitely we see the under assist, but it's in the over assisting when we are in the assessment process that has been, I think, a big challenging factor for our teachers right now. When they look at data, we over time can see where those assists come in. And it's just informing families that, you know, be a part of this process, but don't become the student. You know, allow your learner to be part of this learning process on their own and support where you need to, like you used to, you know, kids would come home with homework and parents would sit down or whoever the family member was would sit down with the child and work with them one-on-one. So they got to see the backside of, of that process, but now they're at the forefront seeing how it's being delivered. And so that has been a really huge shift. And I think a great opportunity for everyone to be part of the village, so to speak. And I'd like to piggyback off of that. You had asked kind of what our big takeaways are. And as a district in this time, for sure, our three big takeaways are that one size does not fit all because you've got to consider the audience. So now you have students, staff, and families as your audience. And then the second takeaway is that you've got to celebrate the small wins. We were used to looking at data as part of our celebration, and we've had to scale it down to looking at connectivity or usage as part of our celebration, because you can't celebrate the data until you get everybody online and using the programs um, with the best implementation possible. And then finally, we really have figured out that we have got to prioritize just-in-time support and communication. You can send out an 80-page online learning handbook, but you're going to need to follow that up with a one-to-one meeting with that family just before the student is going to take that benchmark so that they understand that if they help the student, that that's going to skew the data. And because a program like iStation, for instance, is adaptive, it's that benchmark really needs to be set at within that student zone of proximal learning in order to adapt up and down within that zone. So we have found that we have to communicate in a lot of different ways, but it really has brought a lot of families together. We are geographically one of the biggest school districts in Texas. We're over 450 square miles. And so one of our biggest challenges right at the beginning was just making sure everybody had the ability to connect. And so we, we developed a plan that began with putting hotspots on buses, but because we are so large, that was even causing families to drive quite a distance to connect to the hotspot. So we ended up doing hotspot lending and Chromebook lending to families. And 
that has worked really well. We're kind of in our third wave. I think we've delivered more than 5,000 devices to families and we have 11,000 students. So you can see what kind of need we had. And so, you know, we have to learn to celebrate that as a win and then build into looking at, you know, more sophisticated ways of using blended learning. And Jennifer, I'll touch in on that too, the, the technology issue. And I love how districts came together and they had all these days where they were handing out devices and trying to problem solve the technology issues. I know it's still a big issue for a lot of families that the, the program will drop out, uh, bandwidth is not strong enough, uh, my Wi-Fi signal dropped, how am I gonna hardwire in? That definitely has been a challenge and trying to get parents to understand as well that the iPhone does not work or any uh, device like that because it's too small when, when you need a child to be doing an activity that it just, it won't work on a, on a small device like a phone, but thank goodness that we have, you know, different types of pads, the iPad or any other type of pad that will work for, for the program to keep that learning going. You know, the, everything that they do, not just with iStation, is technology related. I, I watch my grandchildren. I've got a senior in high school who is at home learning, who is very comfortable with technology. He's, he's just grown up with it. They're digital learners right now to a kindergartner as well, learning how to use a computer and a mouse. Whereas before he could, I mean, he can do anything on an iPad but the mouse has been a different type of a challenge for them as well. So getting kids to, to know technology, how to work around it, how to find their programs, how to leave one tab and go into another, which is what I've been seeing as well. That's also a new learning environment for our new learners. So we have to keep all of that in mind as we deliver our professional development to teachers so that they can be ready to problem solve and be ready to get creative with how they're going to take something and make it now a digital type platform. Absolutely. And we found that what works for intermediate, middle and high school does not necessarily work for especially lower elementary. Like how do you get, we, we're a Google Classroom district and we've luckily before the closure, we had already started having all of our teachers have a Google Classroom in case a student was homebound. And students were fairly familiar with submitting work, but a kindergartner cannot submit work on Google Classroom. And so we ended up uh, finding another program called Seesaw, and that has been super successful with students um, submitting work, and the kids really like it. But now we're coming on to, uh, at least in Texas, the Texas Education Agency has said that we must benchmark or do universal screening within the first 20 days of school. And so then now we're starting to do other academic assessments and campus-based assessments, and you can't do them on Seesaw. So now we're back to the same problem of, you know, what platform are we going to use for our assessments and how do we get the itty-bitties to be assessed remotely? We, we've had a lot of success with using video assessment where we use Zoom or another platform like Google Meets. And we're basically doing the assessment in person one-to-one, -one. but that's, that's really staff intensive and time intensive. 
but uh, I think it also still supports that relationship that we have with kids. That's very true, Jennifer, because our kids definitely need some one-on-one -on -one time with a teacher. We know how important it is for that teacher then to be able to establish that relationship and really get to know their students. That's, I think, a big key factor when they do start looking at data is that now they can really get a feel for what this learner knows at this moment in time and then be able to compare that to when they take an online assessment such as iStation when they are unable to see what is happening. For sure, I'm thinking about one of the silver linings of this is that I think that our teachers have become far more well-versed in looking at data that programs like iStation give you because iStation gives you an incredible amount of data from the student's lexile to breaking it down to the five foundational components of literacy. And that's even at the middle school level where teachers tend to be very focused on comprehension. But if they go in and look at the iStation data, they can see that fluency might be what's tripping that student up or that student needs better word analysis skills. So maybe in a small group, I need to do some work with affixes. And I, I just feel like we did uh, iStation 101 and then iStation 201. We created modules online that teachers can access at any time. And it's just been, you know, again, you have to do it just in time. So when you get that support ticket in from a teacher that says, I don't know what to do, you know, you support them immediately. And then you say, hey, by the way, don't forget, we have these, these short videos that you can watch or get onto the program and look at some of the professional development they have there. So it's kind of, we're building capacity all along the way. And I think that it's just gonna make us much stronger in the future. Yeah, so I love how you're keeping in mind that hierarchy of reading so that we do get fluent readers. I mean, that's our goal. We want them to comprehend and read fluently, but if there's a breakdown, you know, so many kids come in knowing a lot of words, but they don't have that decoding ability set in place. And so we get, we get grownups, we get adults who forget some of the rules. And that's why I'm called Mrs. Wardham almost daily. And it's, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's sad. It's that breakdown and we don't want that to happen. We really need to keep focused on those hierarchical skills when it comes to reading and give those reminders over and over and over about digraphs and things like that. As simple as they are, they make big differences later in the future. Right. And if you're a secondary teacher, you didn't learn about that when you got your certification, right? So right. the beauty is you get on there, you see the student data, and then you can pull using the priority report, you can pull actual lessons that you can then use with the student. So you're not having to go and find resources. The resources are right there. So that's why it's such a great blended learning model because it's got the teacher lessons as well as the online component. Correct. And it's fast and easy for your teachers. They don't have to go searching. I mean, we want to make life a little bit less stressful for them, you know, give a little grace right now and use what you have and keep on going. Yeah, I think that's been a big eye opener for them that the resources are right there, that they don't have to go out and find other resources. True. Little gifts on our plate are fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> so if we look at some specific strategies for implementation, 
uh, of creating a blended learning environment and curriculum for student success. What have you seen, especially since COVID hit in March, that has worked for school districts at scale? Give us some examples. One of the things that we did was we created what's called a first 20 day plan for every single classroom. And in that plan, it involved one-to-one conferences or meetings with parents to teach them each of the platforms that they would use. So I think that, and so that meant that we had to completely rewrite our uh, scope and sequence for content, because it meant that you're not, you are starting content on day one, but you're allowing for time to teach parents how to use Google Classroom then to teach the students how to use Google Classroom, then to have practice where just submitting work gets you a 100, right? And I think that, like they say, going slow to go fast has really helped us. Also, we tried as much as possible to, to minimize the number of blended learning platforms we were using because we have some families. I, I was talking to a mom first week of school. She had nine kids. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, thank goodness she was able to use Google Classroom for the majority of them, and it's the same system, right, for each kid. When we got down to her kindergartner, we ended up deciding to go ahead and have that student start with packet work because we did allow, because, because we are geographically so large and because it did take us a little while to get the devices checked out to families, We also had, at all of our feeding sites where we offered free breakfast and free lunch, we would have packets. And the packets were aligned, they were created by the district and they were aligned with the content for each grade level so that students could go ahead and get started working even if they weren't able to start with the blended model. And I actually have kind of a cute story that goes with that. When we first started, and so so let me get back to that. I think that going slow to go fast is smart. Don't short yourself on training your audience, your staff, your families, your students on using the technology itself. And you don't have to invent that. You just need to either reach out to your providers or get online and look on their website and adapt some of the professional development that they have to the audience. But we had students, right, this was probably in April, right, when everything was new, we had told teachers to try to at least get on, you know, once a week and do some synchronous learning. So our elementary teachers got together and they decided that was the perfect opportunity to do read-alouds. And they were bemoaning the fact that, well, I do this read-aloud and some of the kids get on, but they, they don't know how to use the microphone. I'm feeling like I'm not getting response to my read-alouds like I want. So we ended up mailing out packets that included the activities that go with the read-aloud and some fun activities. So the students would listen to the read-aloud synchronously. They would have a packet at home that they'd work on, and then they'd come back and they would just talk about it. And they became so popular that we were having to send packets to the siblings because they felt left out because they didn't get to, you know, do the activities that went with the read aloud. And so that's true blended learning right there. You've got the online component, you've got synchronous with the Zoom meeting or the the Google Meets, and then you've got some traditional old-fashioned, you know, projects that the kids do that did. They did things like 
planting a garden, using items at home to make a band, to make musical instruments, things like that. And that really increased our engagement. I love that, Jennifer. I love how you guys are sending out the packets. And that's one thing that we point out to teachers when we are doing their, their professional development training online, that simple reminder of, you know, some of these things are downloadable and printable. We know that families may not have that printer available. And if they do have it available at school, you can send out the little books. So when you are going to do a read aloud with your students and project that book online, because we have thousands of books that the kids can then have in their hands the same little book to read along with you, to share it with siblings, to start building their own little libraries with, with materials. And then I even love how, talking about little libraries, you know, those little lending libraries that sit on corners around town. I was talking with a district one day and I said, how about if you have the ability for this, we print some of this stuff out and just put it in the little lending libraries and let our families know that teachers are dropping things around town. It kind of makes it a scavenger hunt, gets families used to going there because now there's books for everybody in there that, that people just leave and deposit along with some materials that the kids can use for school. And, and it's a central location. It keeps them not just only having to stay home, they can go for a walk because a lot of times these little lending libraries are in their neighborhoods or they can just have a pickup that, you know, of course they can go to the school and, and pick up packets too. But I love that we can bring those two pieces together to our kids, whereas before we could hand it out and now we have to get creative about what we're doing. So I love that so much. Another aspect that's obviously critical here is getting teachers to, A, feel comfortable in a blended learning environment, you know, feel empowered to actually do their job and do their job well and reach students. But even beyond that, not just empower them, but make them excited too. you know, get them amped for blended learning and create buy-in and excitement across campuses, because I think for many educators, this is still a time of crisis, so something like transitioning them to a, to a blended learning environment could be seen as, uh, you know, not something to be super excited about, but a major challenge that they have to get through, right? Where, in many ways, a blended learning environment actually uh, creates a lot of opportunities to engage more closely with students um, and get students a, a more focused and exciting curriculum. So, all of that said... How are y'all seeing different school districts get teachers bought in to a blended learning environment? And what are some ways that you've seen districts evolve their strategies in, in a manner to get educators excited about the transition? Well, we saw some major changes happen from last spring to fall. Things were kind of chaotic, you know, what do we do? How are we going to get this? Of course, iStation was built for this because we are a technology-based software educational company and with all materials available digitally here online. And so teachers needed to get a little bit more comfortable with, you know, they have, they have a teacher station if they have our instructional component to where they have projectable lessons and those projectable books. That, that reminder that now you can really work with everybody at one time while they are at home. And so 
when we started talking to our individual districts and or teachers, because they were reaching out, what do I do? How does this work? Just reminding them they have to have their plan. You know, they got to look to their core, always look to their core, then look to their intervention strategies. And we are right there to help them. And so when they came into the fall, you know, they had time to process, all right, what's working, what's not working over the summer. We had time for professional learning opportunities where they got to come to us and start asking us really strong questions. How do I deliver now? And we have some very creative folks on the professional development team that are showing teachers, you can take our lessons and because we have Google Sheets and Jamboards and all these other programs available, you can cut it up digitally to make it interactive now for yourself and for your students, which makes the learning process continue and making it, making it fun. And so I think in showing our teachers along this new year how to plan out and really have a flexible type calendar that is structured where they tell their students, okay, these are the days you need to be online with iStation. This is the day you need to be online between these times. And if you get very specific and narrow down your calendar this week, it's gonna look like this. I'm gonna be flexible next week and change it because as my students learning progresses, I need to make adjustments. It can't always stay firm. My students are going to float in and out of those times that I have now created for my students to work. So we've really learned to have better time management. Classroom management is a big skill now for our teachers so that they can take this and make it digital. Have you seen that in your district, Jennifer? Absolutely. It's it's huge. Like the time management is huge. So we wanted to allow teachers choice, first of all. There were some teachers who were simply not comfortable coming back with on-site students. So we sent out a survey and found out by campus which teachers really strongly wanted to be virtual teachers and which teachers wanted to be on-site teachers. And interestingly enough, we had like the majority want to be on-site. I mean, they're teachers because they want to be having those face-to-face -face interactions with kids. So as much as possible, we had teachers who were either doing virtual or either doing on-site. Well, now as we're having a higher and higher percentage of students on-site, it's getting kind of tricky. And what we have found is that we've got a great digital learning team. And so we've got really good support for our PLCs and for professional learning and planning meetings in making the content digital, making the content interactive. The struggle is that, especially at the elementary level, we'll have students who get, our percentage of students who can get online in the morning is way higher than the ones in the afternoon. So we had it where we were prioritizing math and reading in the morning, but then nobody was ever showing up for science and social studies. So we're having to rework things. And what we have done as a district is we have worked in additional half days into our calendar for teachers to get things like attendance done, grading done, things like that. Because within all of that, it's very hard to manage on-site students and be ready for your synchronous online teaching and 
get all your attendance and grading done. So we've had to work in some additional time for that. And we're just about to do another wave where we're going to try as much as possible to be discreet. Either a teacher is online doing the online learning or the teacher is on site with the students because we're going to go up to 75% in the classroom. That means that we may have to share teachers across campuses. We have six elementary schools, but it may be that most of our students are now on site. And so that online teacher is going to have to be the third grade teacher for more than one campus because there's not that large a number of students who are, who are purely virtual learners. That's a little bit off of the blended learning topic. I mean, the good news is that now that we have a lot more students on site, we are still using our digital learning as part of our attendance and part of our required resources for curriculum. So hopefully all of that will be even stronger, but we still have this issue of what do we do with the students who still are not able to or the parents are not ready to have them come back on campus. And I don't think that that's something that's going to be particular just to our, our current situation. I feel like this is really going to make us stronger as a district in the future in general, because we will always have students who, for whatever reason, are homebound. And we're going to be able to support them a whole lot better than we ever have. So uh, once we get that figured out, that's going to be great. But we have found that we're going to, we're building in more time for teachers to just plan, create those lessons because it does take some time and get those little, you know, bookkeeping things done like attendance and grades and things like that. Yes, Jennifer, that flexibility is key. And giving teachers that opportunity to decide, you know, yeah, I'll take the third grade district across town because I can do that. I'm great with technology. They may be a millennial who've got all of their <laughs> teaching instruction online. That personally was not my favorite way to go. I loved being in the classroom face-to-face -face with my teachers when I was getting my higher ed. And so there's not a one fits all for everybody. And so we take, we take our own type of learning approaches. Yes, as teachers, they loved it when we came in and gave professional development. I could hand out data digs to them personally and watch them and guide them. And now I'm having myself having to do that online via a Zoom meeting with teachers or a Google Meet or a Microsoft Team or there's just so many different platforms out there. But I've had to have that flexibility within myself to say, now, how do I stand and deliver some great instruction and professional development to teachers so that it enables them to do their job easier and not be so stressed as well? So we know that homeschooling has been around for a long time. You know, moms and dads have decided I'm gonna homeschool and they got a curriculum that they sat down and, and did with their, their children face to face. And so now it's just kind of became the way of the world. We were all doing that for a little while. It worked in some cases for some, it didn't work for some in other. And now giving parents that ability to, okay, you're gonna go back to school and now you're going to have technology available at school alongside with your teacher sitting right there with you, but you're still going to have your teacher face-to-face -face, even if you decide to just stay online. Absolutely, and I, I think that one of, the, uh, uh, one of the things that parents have learned, some parents are realized that 
teaching at home that teaching is difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And and one of the resources that you guys have that I really loved and used a lot was, um, and you'll have to remind me, the YouTube channel, because you had videos that were specifically for parents on how to set up a learning environment at home. And it's really funny because I was just online with a, a student last week. He's a student who was struggling with one of our online platforms. And I said to the teacher, hey, I'll come in and you put us in a breakout room on Zoom and I will, I will share my screen and I will walk through, I will log in as the student and walk through the program and we will click together and get him going on this program. And this student apparently is notorious for never wanting to turn on his camera, but this was the second or third time that I had worked with him. And so when I got on, I of course had my camera going. I said, Hey, you know, Emilio, and he, he turned his camera on briefly and he was literally outside because that (laughs) probably is the one place that it's quiet enough or he can get the Wi-Fi or whatever. But, you know, you just, when we're coming to realize that providing a learning environment is a big deal. And that is why a lot of families do want to send their students back to campus as much as possible. Also, all those extracurriculars that are the reason the student comes to school, whether it's athletics or dance, you know, those are very difficult to do in a purely virtual setting. So, but your videos were really helpful. I shared them out with the teachers and they showed them to parents who are struggling with, I just can't get him to sit down or I can't get him to finish a project or I can't get her to understand what she needs to get done. And it had simple tips like, you know, creating an agenda at home on the wall and then having the student put a sticky note whenever they completed that. Yeah. The student motivation factor, like you were saying, yeah, Yeah, that was a that was a big one getting, how am I going to get my students motivated? And then the other side that we saw and that teachers were asking us is, how do we get our parents to understand not to assess their kids? You know, how do they understand that? So we heard teachers again and we came back in and we created three short videos for parents about the instructional pieces, the assessment pieces, technology pieces, because I think our teachers needed a second voice. So it wasn't always coming from them. It came from us to the parents directly. So yeah, communicating all the way around student motivation and then how to, how to work with families. So we listen to what our teachers are telling us, what our districts are needing from us. And we try to get that out as quickly as possible because we want to assist. All right. Y'all's insights have been so great today. Thank you so much for joining us so far on the podcast. We're going to go ahead and wrap up, but I've got one last question for you here. If we take everything we've spoken on today and wrap it up into one final set of advice, what would you say is a starting point or a first step that educators or school districts can take to um, better craft their blended learning environment? What sort of a base level rewiring of their approach or strategy for implementation or otherwise that you think is going to really set educators and school districts up for success with blended learning as we continue to try to maneuver this COVID crisis? I'll jump in first because I think we can talk about my district's experience and then talk about the big picture. But I think that really, again, it's although one size does not fit all, really 
prioritizing that planning and thinking about each piece by the audience. So making sure that you plan for the district level implementation, then what it's gonna look like for the teachers, what it's gonna look like for the families, and then what it's gonna look like for the students. And because families aren't just that one student in your third grade class, but they also have a sixth grade brother, you know, they also have a sister in high school, you've got to try to streamline it as much as possible. And that will also allow you to build capacity because everybody's learning the same platform. So really from the district level, it takes a lot of planning ahead of time to prioritize, to streamline, and then to make sure you address all of your audiences and take it slow. I mean, teach every little bit from clicking to looking at the data to how do you keep motivation high to how do you celebrate? So that's where I am right now. I'm going out on campuses and saying, okay, we're using it. It's great. How are we going to celebrate? You know, and so, um, and then coming back, it's recursive. So that's what I would say. I love that, Jennifer. Again, I love the celebration factor of it because we used to have a lot of celebrations that happened on campus. We celebrated everything. There was always that part of of our teaching process where we got to give those celebrations. So where are they right now? Where are my wins? How, how can I show that to my teachers? How can I give that then back to my students? And again, with my families. So usage right now, technology-wise, when you're at home, that is on families. So we have to celebrate the fact that, hey, your kids got on. And you know what? Through this iStation program, I also got to look at science and social studies in a different way. You know, they present it through their lessons. Wonderful. A teacher can look at that and say, okay, well, I did that. That's a win for my teacher because now I picked up this learning piece through this part of this program that I can check that off my list. That's a win for the teacher when they can check things off their list. Okay, I was able to deliver this online instruction and then I was able then again to have that one-on-one -on -one because technology affords that. I can still reach out and talk to my students. I can still reach out and have a parent-teacher conference because they're coming up right now and teachers are asking, how do I, how do, I do a parent-teacher conference? How do I goal set with my kids? Well, you got to look at data. Teachers need to show the student what they're doing to celebrate that win. Look, you grew by so many percentile points. Yay, that's that's amazing. You know, that's a win for me. Send out a, a digital certificate. Find a way to mail something out to them. Put something in their hands. And the same for your teachers. Now as a district, you can come back in and say, wow, your classroom usage went up to 75%. That's amazing. What did you do? Share out with us. We all learn from each other. So let's give ourselves that, that grace, give ourselves the flexibility to know that technology is our friend at most times, except when it's not working, then it becomes, oh, let's pull our hair out. And so teachers need to be ready for that. You know what? If technology goes down, I have put this in your hands. I want you to write this. I need you to draw this. I need you to express this. There's so many different things that we can do because we know that technology does have a breakdown. So we need to be prepared for when the breakdown happens, what do we have in our students' hands for that? And we just keep on going. All right, y'all, that wraps our podcast for the day. 
thank you so much to both of our guests. Again, we've been chatting with Angelica Casillas-Wortham, a PD specialist for iStation, and Jennifer Green-Gast, academic RTI coordinator for Strip ISD in Texas. Angelica, thank you again for joining us. If folks want to find out more about the work iStation is doing to meet some of these blended learning needs, how can they get in touch or find out more? They can always reach out to us at iStation.com and just send us your questions uh, at support at iStation.com as well. We are here to answer questions. We are ready to assist our teachers in any way that we possibly can. We just like everyone to know that we are here for you at this time and here to support you. And Jennifer, if folks want to get in touch to learn more about the work you're doing at Baystrup ISD, either for advice or some direction, how can they get in touch or learn more about what you're doing? Sure. They can find me on the Bastrop Independent School District website. Uh, They can just look up Bastrop ISD Texas and go there or find me at janegreengast at bisdtx.org. And I'd be happy to help anybody share any of the documents that we've created and share how using blended learning has kept us from having such a big, what they call the COVID slide. We haven't really seen that in our data. And I think it's because of blended learning. Fantastic. Angelica, Jennifer, thanks again for joining us on the podcast today. Thank Thank you. you so much. Everyone have a great day. You too. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of The Future of E-Learning, a market scale podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and make sure that you're going to our website, marketscale.com industries, for more B2B industry vertical content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time. <laughs>